Welcome to the radio program, Why Paul? Bringing and interpreting the doctrine Jesus Christ presented through the Apostle Paul. Your hosts are Michael R. Mix, Michelle Mix, and Pamela Lampton of 14th Street Ministries. We are here to bring you the answers found in 2 Timothy, verse 2, and encourage you to teach and share this program with others. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Mix, Michelle Mix, and Pamela Lampton. Uh, welcome back this week, and we're welcoming back our uh, guest speaker, uh, that David Reed. Um, I'm your host, Michelle Mix. And I'm your host, uh, Michael Mix. I'm your host, Pam Lampton. And welcome, David. We're so happy that you came back uh, to finish answering all these questions that we have for you. Um, so we're appreciative that you're back. And those of you that haven't met um, David uh, last week, um, David Reed, he leads the Chris, uh, Columbus Bible Church, which lo- is located in Columbus, Ohio. Um, he, he was saved um, by the Lord, by his Lord, Jesus Christ, while he was a junior in college. And a few years later, uh, that's when you came to understand the distinctive ministry um, that was, it's committed to the Apostle Paul uh, for the current dispensation of grace, um, hence our name, Why Paul? Uh, that is so important. Um, you are also the author of the Are There Contradictions in the Bible? Questions and Answers on Dispensationalism. Um, I have read that. Um, I enjoyed reading that. Uh, and you're the founder of Mid-Acts Tracks. It's a gospel track publishing ministry. Um, and you hold a Bachelor's of Arts and Economics from Stanford University, a Juris Doctor from Duke University, a Master of Laws in Taxation from New York University, and a Master of Business Administration from the Fisher College of Business at The Ohio State University. And you're also a graduate of the Grace School of Bible in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, And somehow you have time um, to have a wife, uh, four children, so your wife Stephanie and your four children who all live with you in Columbus. So welcome, David. Well, thank you. It's it's really a pleasure to be back. I appreciate it. Okay, so we're going to start. We have some... uh, I'm going back with questions. Um, so, David, we'll go ahead and let you get started. Well, we open up with prayer. Pam, would you open the prayer? Okay. Father God, we come to you today with some many burdens on our hearts. And, Lord, we do lift these burdens to you, and we give you our petitions, Lord. We pray that the hearers and listeners of this program, Lord, will come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, we pray, the Lord, that the word would be opened up into their hearts, that they would learn something new tonight. We pray, Lord, that you would, your Holy Spirit would guide and direct in our words and our motives, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, one of the questions that, that came in uh, that we, we thought we should cover is the question of, why do people insist on the King James Version over any other version? It's a, it's a great question, and to give it a, a full answer, we're going to probably take most of the time tonight, so we'll see how that goes. But we want to try to give a full and complete answer to that question. And so to do that, we're going to look at two basic things. The first thing that we're going to look at is we're going to look at how Satan attacks the Word of God. If, if you want to think through the Bible version issue, the first thing you have to do is you have to understand how Satan wars, how he battles against the Word of God. So we'll first look at that, 
And then the second thing that we'll do is we will actually do a verse-by-verse comparison of numerous verses between the King James Version and some of the modern versions. And so that's, that's, where we're gonna get, that's where we're headed. So we're going to start by looking at Genesis chapter 3. And so, Michelle, if you could help, if you could read for us Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Sure. Uh, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden, So Genesis 3 verse 1 introduces us to the serpent. And the serpent there, of course, we know is a reference to the devil. Now, the first thing that you need to notice is, as Satan is introduced in in Genesis 3 verse 1, what is the very first thing that he does? And the very first thing that he does is to question the word of God. Yea, hath God said. Did God really say this? That attitude is prevalent throughout humanity today. In other words, is there really a Bible? Is there really a source of truth? Or is what we have just the opinions of men? Is it just something where errors have crept in over time and it's not truly reliable? Please understand that Satan's very first action, his intention from the start, was to get man to question whether the word of God exists. That's why he said, yea, hath God said. And then notice what he said immediately after that. He said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. That is a blatant misquotation. So look with me at Genesis chapter 2 and look at verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. In other words, in Genesis chapter 2, what God specifically said to, to Adam and Eve was, you can eat from every tree of the garden and you can do so freely, but there's one tree that you can't eat from. It's from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was what God revealed in Genesis 2. But in Genesis 3, when Satan shows up, the very first thing he does after saying, did God really say this? Is there really a word of God? Can you really believe it? He says, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Well, if that was true, they would have starved to death, right? Mm-hmm. So Satan's first action is to question and then misquote the word of God. That's, that's just verse one. Let's go to verse two. Michael, would you, would you read verse two for us? Uh, verse two, um, and the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Now, notice how subtle, how sneaky the serpent is. When he makes the quotation in verse 2, he says, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but he leaves out really. So he leaves out a word that's sort of in the middle. You know, he takes this adverb that's right after, and if you're not paying close attention, you might not notice it. But We're told in the scripture neither to add to the word of God or take from the word of God. And what Satan does in Genesis 3 verse 2 is he clearly takes from the word of God. He omits the word freely. And the word freely is important because it's evidence of God's grace. God put Adam and Eve in the garden and he didn't make them work to earn the ability to eat of the, Mm -hmm. the fruit of the trees of the garden. He gave it to them freely. Satan omits the word freely in verse 2. 
Pam, could you help with verse 3? Sure. But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. So we're three verses into this chapter, and the Mm -hmm. Word of God is just being mutilated. Can you see this? Mm -hmm. So what happens here is it says, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it. Well, just a few moments ago, we read Genesis. This two sixteen and seventeen together, and it didn't say anything about touching the the, the 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 tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were allowed to touch it; they just weren't allowed to eat from it. So, in verse two, Eve leaves out words. She left out the word freely. She also left out the word every. In verse three, she adds to the word of God: "Neither shall ye touch it." And then this: notice how devilish this is. What are the last three words of verse three? Lest ye die. In other words, if you do this, you you might die. It's possible. That's what could follow. What Genesis 2.17 said is, thou shalt surely die. There's a difference between lest ye die and thou shalt surely die. Obviously, thou shalt surely die is much stronger. It's much more definitive. And God said that in in Genesis 2, 17, because it was true. He was telling them, look, if you do this, in the day that you do this, thou shalt surely die. When Eve quotes it, she says, lest you die. Again, it's it's a corruption of the word of God. Then let's do verse four. Michael, can you help with that? And the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. So now verse four tells you Satan knew what the original said, right? In other words, Mm -hmm. he knew that it said thou shalt surely die. And so what he does in verse four is he just flat out contradicts it. He just says, ye shall not surely die. In other words, God's lying to you. If he said that, it wasn't the truth. Notice in four simple verses, Satan shows up. He questions the word of God. Yea, hath God said. Then he misquotes it. And what he does when he misquotes it is that he he suggests that they can't eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Eve's response, she leaves out some words in verse two. She adds some words in verse three. She changes thou shalt surely die to lest ye die. In other words, she diminishes the the certainty of Mm -hmm. the consequence, the certainty of the punishment. And then in verse four, where does this all lead? It leads to just a blatant denial of what God said. Ye shall not surely die. It won't happen. Now, think with me just for a minute about John 8, 44. John chapter eight, verse 44. And what what that verse says is it says that you are of your father, the devil, and that he is a murderer from the beginning. Why does it say he's a murderer from the beginning? Well, the reason why is God had revealed that in the day that Adam and Eve would eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, in that very day, they would surely die. So when Satan shows up and he says, Eve, you really want to do this. You won't die. It's really good. You'll love it. It's so great. What is he? He's a murderer. He is enticing her to commit spiritual suicide. And Mm -hmm. so he's properly described as a murderer from the beginning. 
Now, here's why this matters. Why this matters is you need to understand this. Satan's warfare from the very beginning is against the word of God. He doesn't grab Eve by the ankle and, you know, tickle her or, or beat her or harm her or something like that. What is he trying to do? He is trying to undermine the authority of God's word in the life of man. Let me put it this way. How do you know truth from error? How do you really know what you're supposed to do in life? Do you just pick up a magazine? Do you just go by what, by what people on the street tell you? Well, the, the only way you really know anything with confidence is the word of God tells you. That's why what Satan does from the beginning is he says, I have to undermine the authority of the word of God. That is what would, will keep people from falling prey to my devices. So I have to remove the authority of the word. Now, the next thing to notice is that Satan quotes verses. What, what, he, what he does there is he is quoting things from Genesis 2, but he is misquoting them. So what happens is, well, let me just ask the question this way. What happens if someone uh, quotes something and it's 90% accurate? Well, it's inaccurate. Yeah. In, in sentence and I add one word to it, can I completely change the meaning of the sentence? Absolutely. What if I just add the word not somewhere? Doesn't that, I mean, you see the mm -hmm. point. In other words, it's yeah. not sufficient to quote something 90% accurately. So what Satan does is he quotes the word of God. But in the process of doing that, he leaves things out and he adds things and he changes it to accomplish his purposes. Remember in Genesis 3.1, he was described as subtle. In other words, he's very sneaky about what he's doing. He tries to do it in a way that's not detected. But what he does is he corrupts the word of God. That is his intent. So let me tie this up before we move on to the next section. What we've seen is that Satan's warfare is against the word of God. He misquotes it. He attacks it. He's trying to diminish its authority. The reason why you need to have this as a foundation is as you start to think through the issue of the different Bible versions, you, you don't want to think through that in a vacuum. You want to think through that with a context of, well, I know that Satan is going to war against the word of God. I know he's going to do that. Genesis 3 told me. And I can see some things as to how he's going to do that. When he misquotes it, it will look somewhat similar, but it won't be the same. And with the word of God, similar is not enough. It needs to be the same. You wouldn't want a Bible that took out 10% of the words. I mean, I hope not. Well, we need to understand Satan's warfare so that we can understand how to think about the Bible version issue. So now let's turn to part two. And let me just try to introduce this subject. What we're going to do next is we're going to go through a verse-by-verse -verse comparison between the King James Version and the New International Version. I picked the New International Version because it's representative of other modern versions. They're, they're, other ones are very similar, um, so we'll use it as an example. Uh, the version of the NIV that I'm going to use is the one that is available on blueletterbible.org. You can go there and check it out for yourself. I hope you will. Um, the, the New International Version has been published in more than one edition. So if you, if you pull up an NIV from, from the shelf and it reads differently from what I'm quoting to you, um, there are different editions of the NIV. So that may be the reason. 
And I should also say that what we're about to do, uh, because we're doing this in a radio format, we're going to read to you the verses. But I really encourage you, get out your Bible and, and, and check this out. Don't take our word for it. You know, we're not interested in, it doesn't matter to us whether or not we're right. The word of God is right. And so what you need to do is you need to see this with your own eyes. Now, what you've probably been told is that the difference between the King James and the modern versions is the modern versions just took out the these and thous. That's all that it did. It took out the archaic words, but otherwise it says the same thing and it means the same thing. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to go together verse by verse, and we're going to see multiple different instances, and you'll be able to judge for yourself whether or not the NIV and the King James say the same thing. And uh, I'm going to give you a little spoiler here. They don't. There's differences between them. And so uh, we would encourage you to, to follow and to, to check these things out. What 1 Thessalonians 5.21 tells the believer is it tells us to prove all things. In other words, don't take my word for it. Don't take Michael's word for it or, or, or Pam's word for it or Michelle's. Just search it out for yourself, right? We'll tell you the information, but, but you need to evaluate it for yourself so you're satisfied in your own mind. So, We're going to get ready here. I'm going to kick it back to Michelle. We're going to get ready to take a break. But when we come back from the break, get ready because we're going to do some verse-by-verse comparison that uh, would be good for you to to study out. Very good. All right. Yeah, that sounds interesting. I can't wait to um, hear that and see those comparisons. So we'll be right back after break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 14th Street Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. Your donations are most appreciated. You can make donations on our website at 14thstreetministries.com. Our goal is to preach the gospel to a lost and dying world. Our message is to lift the believer, teaching sound doctrine by rightly dividing the word of truth. We are a grace ministry. You can reach out to us by calling 314-243-3779 or by contacting us on the web at 14thstreetministries.com or follow our Facebook page. Look for 14th Street Online Bible Study. We hear just be you a lot these days. But who are you? What is an authentic life? The answer to these questions and more will be answered on The Authentic Living Show. Hosted by Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of today's spiritual, psychological experts and will provide her own wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your I am. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. What's the difference between leaders who achieve exceptional results with ease and those who struggle to keep up? Tune in for Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. You'll discover the simple practices that are making the biggest difference to a leader's success today. You'll meet leaders who are bringing out the best in their teams. You'll gain practical strategies to lead yourself and others to high performance with ease. Leading on Purpose airs live Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Walk, 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 
You are listening to the radio program, Why Paul? If you'd like to participate in today's program, call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to Mix at 14thStreetMinistries.com. Now, back to Why Paul? We're, we're back here. We're going to jump back into the questions uh, with our uh, special guest, David Reed. And um, uh, I'm your host, Michelle Mix. And I'm your host, Michael Mix. And I'm your host, Pam Lampton. All right, David. So um, we're going back to um, where, why, you know, we use the King James Version. Great. And what we were previewing right before the break was we're going to turn to some passages in both the King James and the NIV, and we're going to compare them. And we're going to evaluate, do they really say the same thing or do they not? You've, you've been told that they say the same thing. The NIV and the other modern versions just take out the and now, and they take out the archaic words. I think you're going to see that's not the case. Now, one of the questions that comes up is, well, what about other modern versions? What about the English Standard Version or the Revised Standard Version or the Message or, or so on? And I'm going to give you an answer here, and you, you should validate this for yourself. But here is the short answer. The, the difficulties, the problems that exist in the NIV exist in other modern versions, and they exist in the very same verses. And the reason why that is, is that the modern version is based on a different set of manuscripts. In other words, it started from a different source. And when they started from that different same source, the problems that that source has flow through in the translation. To put it another way, what happens is when you look at the uh, extant, which is just another way of saying existing Greek manuscripts, there's over 5,000 of them. The vast, vast majority, north of 90% of them, support the King James Version. They're consistent with the King James Version. The modern versions are based upon the very small minority of manuscripts that read differently. And so as we jump into the comparison here, you're going to see the differences. And I I would suggest to you, you should ask yourself the following question. As you see these differences, which one of these is the one that the Holy Spirit is more likely to have written? In other words, based upon the content of the difference. So let's just jump in and we'll look at some verses together. So Michelle, if you could read for us in Mark uh, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, and can you read from the King James? Yes. And I um, just want to throw in one more question that um, uh, some of our um, listeners have is, um, does this also include the new King James version? So let me just touch briefly on that. Uh, the New King's James Version will not have all of the problems of other modern versions, but it will have some of them. So the, 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 the bottom line is the New King James is based on a different text than the King James Version. And so um, it, it has some similar problems. It, in, in other words, the, the, the New King James Version is not an adequate substitute for the King James Version. And I'll, I'll point out one example of that as we go through the, the list. Okay, thank you. Um, so I'll read uh, Mark 1-2 in the King, King James Version. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send a messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Uh, Mark 1-3. 
the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So that's great. That's Michelle read from the King James. And so what we'll do is we'll have Michelle and Michael and Pam, they will all read from the King James and I'll read from the NIV. And you'll notice some differences here. So what Michelle read in the King James, it said, as it is written in the prophets, it reads as follows. As it is written in Isaiah, the prophet. Well, that's not the same thing. Prophets is plural. Prophet Isaiah is singular. Now, let me press this argument a little further. So, Pam, could you read Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 in, uh, in, in King James. James? Okay. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom ye seek, shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. And I'll read the NIV. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before thee. And then it will go on to say some other things. But in Malachi 3.1, in both the King James and the NIV, it says, essentially, I will send my messenger who shall prepare the way before thee. Now, Michael, could you read Isaiah 40, verse 3 in the King oh, James? All righty. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. I'll read that in the NIV. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So what we've done, and I want to make sure this is, is clear, we first read Mark verses one and chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. We then read Malachi 3, verse 1, and we then read Isaiah 40, verse 3. Now, I'm going to go back to Mark 1, verses 2 and 3 for a minute because I want you to see something. And I'm going to read this just from the King James to be clear. Mark 1, verse 2, as it is written in the prophets, and that's plural, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face. That quote right there is from Malachi 3, verse 1. Behold, I will send my messenger. Mark 1, verse 3 says the voice of one crying in the wilderness, and that's a quotation of Isaiah 40, verse 3. So in other words, just to make sure we're clear, in Mark 1, verse 2, when it says, as it is written in the prophets, it first quotes Malachi, and then it quotes Isaiah. And so it says, as it is written in the prophets, because it's about to quote two different prophets. So the King James makes absolutely perfect sense. But now let me read to you the NIV in Mark 1, verse 2. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, so it changed prophets, plural, to Isaiah, the prophet, singular. And then it says, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. That is a quotation from Malachi. So in other words, Mark 1, verse 2 in the NIV is just flat wrong. It says, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, and test me on this, sit down mm -hmm. and read the entire book of Isaiah, it's not going to say, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. It just doesn't, because it's not in the book of Isaiah, it's in the book of Malachi. Okay. 
So think about this for a minute. Which one of these did the Holy Spirit write? When the Holy Spirit originally wrote the scriptures, did he say, well, I know it's not written in Isaiah the prophet, but you know, the verse, verse three is, verse two isn't, but verse three is. So I'm just going to word it that way. I mean, that's not the way the Holy Spirit would have written it. The Holy Spirit would have written it in a way that is completely accurate. So the King James reading, as it is written in the prophets, plural, is the correct reading. And when the NIV and other modern versions are very similar in this regard, not all of them, but the the, the vast majority are, they will say, as it is written in the prophets, and just to be honest, it's an error. It's not true. It is not, when it says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, and it quotes Malachi, it's not written in Isaiah the prophet. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I guess I would just say, I don't know about you, but I find that discomforting, right? In other words, the word of God has to be true. God knows his own word. He's not going to quote it in a way that is wrong. So Mark 1 verses 2 and 3, I believe, just simply happens to be an, an error uh, in the modern versions. Let's let's look at another one. Uh, let's do uh, Matthew 5, 22. And Michelle, could you read that? Yes. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. So what the Lord does in Matthew 5.22 in the King James is he says, Whosoever is angry with his brother And then it has the phrase, without a cause. In other words, if you're angry and you don't have a valid reason, you're in danger of the judgment. But let me read to you the very same verse, Matthew 5, in the NIV. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. It left out the phrase, without a cause. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So notice what's going on here. Matthew 5.22 in the King James says, if you're angry without a cause, you're in danger of judgment. The phrase without a cause is a very important phrase. Matthew 5.22 in the NIV leaves out the phrase without a cause. Well, one of the things that might occur to you is, well, was the Lord ever angry? And so, uh, Pam, could you read Mark chapter 3, verse 5 in the King James? Yes. And when he had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto man, stretch forth thy hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored, whole as the other. And I'll read it in the NIV. He looked around at them in anger. So both the King James, the NIV goes on, but just for time, I'm not going to read it. In Mark 3, verse 5, both the King James and the NIV say that the Lord was, was angry. He looked round about them with anger. So he was angry. Well, you and I both know the Lord never sinned, right? I mean, he, he just didn't. He was, he was perfect. He was flawless. He was righteous. He did not sin. 
So when the NIV leaves out the phrase without a cause, it makes the Lord Jesus Christ subject mm-hmm. to judgment. Mm-hmm. There, there is no possible way that's the case. I, I mean, it's just the Lord died for our sins. The Lord took our sins on the cross. He suffered our punishment. Yes, he did all that. That. But he was not in danger of being judged for being a sinner in his personal actions. That, that, that's just outrageous. So when the, when the NIV leaves out the phrase without a cause, it makes the Lord Jesus Christ in danger of judgment. And that is a, that is a very serious error. Um, Pam, could you also read Ephesians 4, verse 26? Okay. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. The NIV reads similarly, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And the point of Ephesians 4.26 is there is such a thing as righteous anger or righteous wrath. God himself has righteous anger. He has righteous wrath against sin. And when he has that righteous anger, he's not sinning. He's not doing anything wrong. It's perfectly proper for him to to have that anger that he has. So when Matthew 5.22 in the NIV says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment, that's making a statement that is scripturally untrue because Ephesians 4 is actually a command to be angry, right? Be ye angry. It's okay to be angry and sin not. In other words, you can have a righteous anger. Mm-hmm. And, and so the, the NIV in Matthew 5.22, it, it contradicts Ephesians 4.26, and it has this the further significant problem of it makes the Lord Jesus Christ in danger of judgment, which, which he is not. What that tells you then, so let, let's return back to our test. Which one of those did the Holy Spirit write? Did he write as in the King James where it says, who's angry with his brother without a cause, thus protecting the Lord's righteousness, or did the Holy as in the NIV. Well, it seems obvious, I think, that the King James is what the Holy Spirit would have written. Look with me, if you would, at, uh, let's go to Mark 16. And so, in Mark 16, Michael, can I get you to help me with this? Would you read verses uh, 9 through 20? Okay. Now, when Jesus was risen early in the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. And she went and told them that had been with him as they mourned and wept. And they, when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, believed not. After that, he appeared in another form unto two of them. And they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it, Unto the residue, neither believe they them. Afterwards, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them that had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. 
In my name shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not harm them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. Amen. So those are the last 12 verses of the Gospel of Mark. And so what I'm going to do here, I'm going to put this up here and hopefully you can see it maybe. Let's see. You see how there is a ver- there is a horizontal line right there. Mm-hmm. What happens in the NIV is that there is a horizontal line after Mark 16 verse 8. And the one you showed us the one you showed us was the NIV. Yeah, yes sir. Okay. And it says this in the note. The earliest manuscripts and some other witnesses do not have verses 9 through 20. So when you just look at the text, when it draws that vertical line, it's giving you a visual warning. And it's saying the 12 verses that follow, we're not sure that those are legitimate. And they have this note they put right in the middle of the, of the page. The earliest manuscripts and some other ancient witnesses do not have verses 9 through 20. In other words, they're suggesting that maybe it shouldn't be there. Now, what we're going to do when we come back from the break in a little bit is we're going to evaluate that. And um, we're going to try to figure out whether they should be there or not. So this is like the cliffhanger. You've got to come back after the break because we're going to figure out if those 12 verses should be in the Bible or not. So hopefully you'll come back. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) stick with us Um, when we go to break because, boy, we do want to know the answer on that. And it's amazing because so many things that we, you know, don't realize, you know, you know, of, of the differences and even having that line, that horizontal line. And realizing that the word means something, mm-hmm. that it's important, each yeah. word. Mm-hmm. And uh, we do want to say, uh, before, right before we go in, um, to break, we're going to say hi to, um, look like um, Africa, mm-hmm. uh, that somebody was here from Africa, too. That's great. Great. Like two o'clock in the morning there, they said, but. They're here um, listening to us. So we'll be right back after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 14th Street Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. Your donations are most appreciated. You can make donations on our website at 14thstreetministries.com. Our goal is to preach the gospel to a lost and dying world. Our message is to lift the believer, teaching sound doctrine by rightly dividing the word of truth. We are a grace ministry. You can reach out to us by calling 314-243-3779 or by contacting us on the web at 14thstreetministries.com or follow our Facebook page. Look for 14th Street Online Bible Study. Are you looking for life's answers? How about the meaning of true self? 
Can you really be a better person overnight? Well, good luck with that. Now, if you really want to know more about this insane world and life we lead, tune into Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. You'll learn about how the brain operates under different psychological conditions. Some common sense. Heck, you might just actually learn something. Listen Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. If you are ready to be inspired, energized, and edutained, you've come to the right place with our two life-changing programs at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Listen for our lifestyle show, Star Style, Be The Star You Are, with our host, Cynthia Bryan. Then on Sundays at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, Teens Talk and the World Listens on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Play with with us at be the star you are radio.com and the voice america empowerment channel you are listening to the radio program why paul if you'd like to participate in today's program call in to 1-888-346-9141 that's 1-888-346-9141 or send an email to michael r mix at 14th street ministries.com now back to why paul and we're glad that everyone's um still listening and um as we were um on break uh, we did let um, everyone know on Facebook that if you would like a copy of this, um, this side-by-side comparison, uh, you can send us an email. Uh, you can send that to, um, Michael, what is that a new email address that they send that to? Oh, it's Michael R. Mix, period, 14th Street at uh, gmail.com. Yes. Um, if you send us an email, we will um, send this out to you. And we'll be in the next few weeks, we will be talking about that timeline. And we'd be glad to send you a, um, a the timeline um, uh, map or whatever. Uh, we'll like yeah, the chart. Yes, we'll yeah. send that to you as well. So here we're back. Um, I'm your host, Michelle Mix. I'm your host, Michael Mix. And I'm your host, Pam Lampton. And we're with uh, David Reed, and we're continuing um, as far as why why do we use the King James Version? Great. Right before the break, we were looking at Mark 16, 9 through 20, and Michael read the last 12 verses, which is obviously a lengthy passage. And what we looked at is that in the NIV, there's a horizontal line that goes across the page, and right below it, it says, the earliest manuscripts and some other ancient witnesses do not have verses 9 through 20. Now, I want you to think for a minute. When we looked at Genesis 3.1 at the start of this study, we found the first thing that Satan said to Eve in Genesis 3 was, Yea, have said. Did God really say it? Well, doesn't that note sound a lot like, Yea, hath God said? In other words, here are these 12 verses, but just so you know, the earliest manuscripts... They don't have them. That's what the note says. And other ancient witnesses, in other words, the oldest, the stuff that's closest to the originals, doesn't have these verses. So we're not really sure they're reliable. Well, I'm going to tell you something about that, and you should validate this for yourself. When you look at the Greek manuscripts that, that are extant, that exist, there are over 600 of them that include the last 12 verses of Mark. Do you know how many leave out the last 12 verses of Mark? 
602 is a beat down, okay? In other words, the vast, vast, vast majority of manuscripts have those 12 verses. It is an exception, those that don't. Now, let me ask you this. Let's just think through this for a minute. Let's assume that those 12 verses shouldn't be there. Let's assume for the sake of argument that they were added later and the gospel of Mark should really end with Mark 16, verse 8. Well, let's read it. You ready? Mm -hmm. Mark 16, verse 8. And Michael, could I get you to read that? Let's see. Okay. Mark 16, verse 8? Yes, sir. Hang on here, just a minute. Oh, sorry about this. Uh, we have some technical difficulties here, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I actually have to go to my Bible. Sorry about this. I'm changing that's, things up. That's all right. When you teach through things as you're teaching it, you realize, wait a minute, I need to make a different point. So that just yeah, happens sometimes. And um, Mark 16, verse 8. Yes. And, and, and they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. Mm. Now, pause. Do, do you think that when the Holy Spirit wrote the gospel of Mark, the good news of Mark, it ended and everyone was scared and that's just where it ended? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's preposterous. The Holy Spirit did not write the Gospel of Mark, and it ended with everyone being afraid. In other words, just reading the very text tells you it didn't end there. Not to mention the fact that there's 600 manuscripts to two that have it in. You see my point? Now, mm -hmm. now, Interesting. Now, yeah. th think through this with me, and I want to get back to Genesis 3, verse 1 again. Satan has the attitude of, yea, hath God said. In other words, he wants men to think. Well, which version do I use? Do I really need to learn the Greek? If I need to learn the Greek, do I need to learn the Hebrew? Which manuscripts are the right ones, this one or that one? How do, how do you figure all those things out? Well, the answer is all of those doubts are sown by Satan. They're not sown by the Holy Spirit. What God has done, God spoke the universe into existence. He's fully capable of preserving his word. And he preserved his word in the King James Version. It's available to us. And what you're seeing with some of these changes that are being made, next, is they're not designed to give you greater faith and greater confidence. They're designed to undermine your faith in the word. Anytime you draw a horizontal line and you say, the stuff that follows it's not in the best manuscripts. It's not in the earliest ones. It's designed to get you to question whether you actually have mm -hmm. the word of God. Yeah, doubt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's doubt. It's unbelief. And mm -hmm. what I'm going to tell you is the Holy Spirit didn't lose the Bible. He didn't misplace it for hundreds of years. It's always been where he wants it to be. And uh, what, what the NIV and modern versions do in casting doubt on 12 entire verses, just in Mark 16, that's not a good thing. Um, those verses are important verses, and they need to be there. So let's look at another one. You ready? Okay. Let's go to John chapter 5. And Michelle, if you could help with that, if you could read verses 3 and 4. Sure. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, 
and waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. Now I'm going to read verses 3 and 4 in the NIV. Verse 3. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Now I'm going to read verse 4. I'm done. The NIV leaves out verse 4 in the King James. Now I want you to think about this just for a minute. What Michelle just read about verse 4 and I'm going to repeat it just for emphasis. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. When you read the, the incident that occurs at the pool of Bethesda, you have to understand that it's the person who gets in first that gets healed for that passage to make any sense whatsoever. If you don't understand that fact, the passage doesn't make sense. Why is everyone waiting? Why are they rushing? That verse explains it. The NIV leaves out that verse for a minute. When the Holy Spirit wrote the original manuscript, it made sense right? The Holy Spirit didn't write something that was illogical. So verse four had to have been present in the original manuscript because the account had to make sense. The NIV leaves out verse four. It's just not there. Wow. That should that should bother you. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. When, when Satan in Genesis three omitted words, it wasn't because he was helping Eve be more spiritual. <laughs> he was leading her into doctrinal confusion. And so when the NIV leaves out verse four, that's a problem. Let's, let me show you another thing here. Uh, Pam, could you help with this one? How about 2 Corinthians 2, verse 17? Okay. For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as a s- sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak with, speak we in Christ. I'm going to read the same verse in the NIV. Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. Now, what's fascinating is the King James said, for we are not as many which corrupt the word of God. The NIV changes that to peddle the word of God. Well, there's a difference between corrupting, peddling is selling, right? Yeah. But corrupting is you're actually corrupting, contaminating, changing the text. Mm-hmm. Now, you, you may, f- f- I'll be, maybe this is ironic or funny or I don't know what it is, but so the NIV changes the verse that tells you not to corrupt the word of God. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. (laughs) After they cast out on 12 verses in Mark, they take out John 5, verse 4. In Mark 1, verses 2 and 3, they change it to Isaiah the prophet, which I view as a corruption because it's it's false. In Matthew 5, 22, they take out without a cause, which makes the Lord Jesus Christ in danger of judgment. My personal opinion is those are all corruptions. And then the verse that says, don't corrupt the word of God, they change it. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, right. If I were ornery, I'd tell you they have a guilty conscience. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. But you, you understand when you've been told, well, the modern versions, they just these and nows, and they just get rid of the archaic words. You realize that's not true. These verses are actually changing in meaning. There's a verse there that says, not as many which corrupt the word of God, and they change the word corrupt. Mm-hmm. Let's do, uh, Michelle, could you help with this? Let's do, um, actually, no, I'm sorry. Um, Michael, please help with 1 Corinthians 1.18. Let's do that one first. All righty. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. I'm going to read the same verse in the NIV, and you'll notice the issue. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, the King James said, unto us which are saved. The NIV says, to us which are being saved. And that's a false gospel. Mm-hmm. Either saved or you're not. There's no such thing as being saved. If you have placed your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as payment for your sins, you're saved, period. In other words, it's like a light switch. It's either or it's on. You go from being lost to saved in an instant of time when you believe the gospel. The moment before you're unsaved, the moment you believe you're saved. It's like that. There's no such thing as being saved as a process. Uh, one of the listeners asked her about, are these true? Are these problems also in the names? First Corinthians 1.18 is an example of a problem in the New King James because it'll say, unto us which are being saved. And it's just flat out wrong. We, we have time maybe for one more. Um, Michelle, can you help with Colossians 2.18? Sure. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Now, what the King James said there was intruding into those things which he hath not seen. I'm going to read the NIV and notice what it says. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. Do you realize that is a complete contradiction? Mm -hmm. I'm going to do it one more time. The King James says, intruding into those things which he hath not seen. Mm Mm-hmm. The NIV, such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. Those things do not mean the same Mm -hmm. thing. Really opposite. They just do not. And so what I I want you to notice, if I could encourage this as an experiment, don't take my word for any of this, right? Sit down, pick two books in the New Testament. Pick Mark, pick John, pick 2 Thessalonians, I don't care. Pick a couple different books, put a, a King James on one side, an NIV on one side, and read them. And tell me if they say the same thing. They just don't. Yeah. They're, they're not the same content. And, and so you see the importance of the King James. Yeah. Yep. And mm-hmm. thank you. Thank you, David. Um, this is great information. And we definitely want to continue this uh, because we have more to go over. Uh, so we appreciate everybody listening today. And definitely join us. Send us your email. We'll get this out to you so you can also compare. Uh, have a great week.
You have been listening to Why Paul. Visit us on the web at 14thStreetMinistries.com. And please join Michael R. Mix, Michelle Mix, and Pamela Lampton again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for more thoughts and wisdom. Also, be sure to tell everyone about our program. 